Good morning. You know, preaching is a calling, but it's always fun after worship that it's real. And uh, I'm so thankful for our, our choir and our praise team as they lead us in worship. We're looking at the book of Judges. How many of y'all have read, besides just your annual or Bible reading plan, how many of y'all have intentionally read the book of Judges sometime in your life? Would you raise your hand? Okay, Taylor, you're not by yourself. Okay, I was, I was wondering if that was the case. I'm really privileged to be among the people who are preaching from this book. Uh, Paige Brooks is going to be here, I think, next week. Uh, Taylor and Adam have, have opened this preaching to us. And we're looking at the book in all of its, its complexity. We've looked at the, the covenants that are the setting for the people of Israel as they've come into the land. And we've considered Joshua bringing the people into the land and, and what God is, is saying to the people. And now we're turning to look at two individuals, Othnel and Ethu, Ahu, Ahad, brother, the first two judges, the first two deliverers in the book of Judges. And as we go through this, I want you to think with me about what God's up to. God has called Abraham and his descendants and said, Go out. Go to a place I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. The nations that bless you, I will bless. And the nations that curse you, I will curse. And then they went into slavery in Egypt. And then God delivered them with a strong hand and brought them out. And took a slave nation and made them free. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness. An isolated capsule of God's people, traveling in a set order. Three tribes, three tribes, three tribes, and three, and the, the tabernacle in the middle. Traveling through the wilderness, God provided their needs. And then he brought them into the land. And as we've seen in the last two weeks, he told them, all these nations have filled up their wickedness and I bring judgment against them, not because Israel was righteous, don't get confused, but because the nations were wicked, the judgment of God came against them. And he brought Israel to judge them and dispossess them and take their land. And they sort of did that. And they left the people in the land with them. And as we've seen in the last two weeks, those people, those tribes became tests to them. And so in, in this passage, I want us to look and see what God's doing. 
God's establishing the way for the Savior, the ultimate judge, the ultimate deliverer, the, the Lord Christ to come through a people called by his name for his purpose. He's working within a nation to make a light in a dark world. And he's working with individuals, men and women, families, and families that sit together in clans, that sit together in tribes. He's working in those individuals to make himself known and renowned in the earth. So I want us to look at uh, Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 30. It will be on the screen with you reading from the New American Standard. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the sons of Israel served Cushan Rishathim eight years. When the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them, Othnel, the son of Kenneth, Caleb's younger brother, Kenneth, Caleb's younger brother, that would be Othnel, is Caleb's nephew. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushan Reshatham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand so that he prevailed over him. Then the land had rest forty years, and Othnel, son of Kenneth, died. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord strengthened. Ignan, the king of Moab against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered to himself the sons of Ammon and Amalek, and he went and defeated Israel, and they possessed the city of the palm trees. And the sons of Israel served Ignan, the king of Moab, for 18 years. But the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. And the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man. And the sons of Israel sent tribute by him to Agnon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made himself a sword which had two edges, a cubit in length, and he brought it, he bound it to his right thigh under his cloak, and he presented the tribute to Agnon, the king of Moab. Now, Agnon was a very fat man, 
And it came about when he had finished presenting the tribute that he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. Then he himself turned back with, from the idols which were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king said, keep silent. And all who attended him left him. And Ehud came to him while he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. Ehud stretched out his left hand and took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the handle went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not draw the sword out of his belly and the refuge came out. Then Ehud went out into the vestibule and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Then he, when he had gone out, his, the servants came and looked and behold, the door to the roof chamber was locked and they said, he is only relieving himself in the cool room. They waited until they became anxious and but behold, he did not open the doors to the roof chamber. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and behold, their master had fallen to the floor dead. Now Ehud escaped while they were delaying, and he passed by the idols and escaped to Sirah. And it came about when he had arrived, he blew the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was in front of them. And he said to them, Pursue them, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan opposite Moab and did not allow anyone to cross. And they struck down at that time 10,000 Moabites, all robust and valiant men, and no one escaped so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land was undisturbed for 80 years. Think about this as we pray together. Father, we come to you with these two stories in front of us, and we ask you to speak to us in our world. We don't live in a theocracy. We live in a complex, pluralistic country. And yet, in some ways, we identify with these people and the choices they are making. And we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through these stories, that we might be brave and walk with you in our world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two interesting stories. And in these two stories, we see the cycle that we've been told about in the, the uh, book of Judges in full bloom. We see a full description of the sin and rebellion of the nation of Israel. They forgot God. They forgot God. Think about it. Who are these people? They are the children of Abraham. Abraham who left the very land of Mesopotamia. 
Ur of the Chaldees, very close to where this foreign king is ruling them from today. They, they are Abraham's descendants. Abraham who walked with God. Abraham who had no children. Abraham who received Isaac as a promise of God. Who are these, who are these people that forgot God? They're the descendants of the 12 sons of Abraham. They're the descendants of Joseph who made a way for the nation to live through the famine. They're the descendants of Moses who rose up to deliver the nation from slavery. They're descendants who have experienced the possession of this land, a land that's wealthy, a land that's at peace, a land that's prosperous. And they're the descendants who have experienced the blessings of Joshua. And they forgot God. Now lest we judge them, there's a complex reality here. They didn't all forget God one day. They didn't probably all forget God completely. There was a decaying of their faith and their reliance on God that was brought into reality because of the tests of those around them, because of the, the trials of living as free men in a, in a world where they had responsibilities. They had been given the Sabbath. Slaves don't get a day off. Not a week, not a year. Slaves don't get a day off. They'd been given a Sabbath to remind them that they belonged to God. But they settled in a land among people who worked seven days a week, among people who strove to make a living out of the land. And there was a decaying process that set in. The Sabbath became tested their commitment to the Sabbath became tested. Their commitment to the Lord God became tested as they looked at the Baals and, and they were told by their neighbor farmers, look, you have to make sacrifices. If you're going to have a good harvest, come on. Get real. If it doesn't rain on your land, it's not going to rain on my land. Let's go up to the Asherahs. Let's worship the gods of the land that we might have plenty. They forgot the Lord God. And they worshiped false gods. And they did evil in the sight of God. The full picture of, of that problem is presented to us. But then judgment comes upon them as God's anger is is brought up against them and judgment comes in the form of this Macedonian uh, this uh, this king from the homeland from the very area that that we have Abraham coming suddenly here we have a king coming to inflict his will on them and for eight years they're under the rule of Kashan they're under his dominion. 
So what, what can we say about this? It's rather pointed that the ruler from the land where Abraham was sent out from comes and rules over them. They, in their rebellion against God, are forced backward from the commitment of Abraham to go out from his father's people, go out from his father's abode, and go into a land that God would, would provide for him. And suddenly now that king is ruling over them. He's an interesting fellow. We don't have a lot about him. But his name, his title is Doubly Wicked. To be translated doubly wicked. He wasn't just an ordinary bad king. He was somebody who was famous for doing bad things. And God used him to judge his people Israel. God uses bad people to accomplish his, his, to accomplish his purpose. Israel tried to escape from God by compromising and God raises up someone to judge them. Oh, now, what do we know of him? He's a member of the tribe of Judah. He's the nephew of Caleb. Remember Caleb? Caleb, one of the two spies who went into the land and said, yes, it's a land filled with giants. Yes, it's a land of fortified cities. It, but it's also a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the fruit we brought back. He and, and Joshua said, we can take this land. God is going to fight our battles for us. The other ten spies said, oh, no, no, no. Don't delude yourself. We're the saints. We, oh, no, that's a different story. Don't delude yourselves. It's a land of great difficulty. And they believed the ten rather than the two. And they didn't obey God. And then after 40 years, all of that generation have passed away. Even Moses is not allowed to go into the land. But two of that generation are allowed into the land. Joshua and Caleb. And as they're distributing the land between the tribes, they're looking at the, the land of, of, uh, jo of Judah's inheritance. And there is a fortified city, Hebron, a place that is very difficult to take. And Caleb stands before Joshua and before the council of, of the tribe of Judah. And he says, give me that mountain. I was young and now I'm old, and yet I go out before the Lord. Give me that mountain. And Caleb's clan of the tribe took Hebron and claimed it for the children of Judah. So this is his nephew, the son of his younger brother, Othniel. We don't know a lot about him. But he was one who 
reverence God. You see, the truth of the matter is that even though the nation was going the wrong way, there were individuals in the nation who were seeking to walk with God. No matter how bad things are, they're not uniformly bad. There are individuals who are seeking to obey God. There's individuals in Israel who are seeking to do what God wants them to. And Othniel stands and begins to rebel against the overlords. And the tribe of Judah comes and joins him, and the warriors go up with him, and they follow him. And after eight years of subjugation, they cast off the bonds of slavery once again. Did Othniel do it by himself? No. The nation rose up. And after that time, the nation remained at peace, remained in, a, in the, the place that God wanted them to be for a long period of time, 40 years. They, they functioned as God intended them to function. They were a light to the nations around them. They were encouraging each other to walk with God. You remember that God told Moses, tell the people of Israel that a man is to teach his son. They didn't have synagogues. They didn't even have the temple. But every home and every family and every clan and every tribe was teaching each other and reminding each other, we're in this land because of God's great mercy. We're in this land for God's purpose. We're to be a light to the nations. After Othniel passed, the people did evil in the sight of God. And another foreign power comes, the Moabites. Remember, the Moabites are the descendants of Lot. And that as the nation of Israel is coming in from the wilderness journey, God says, don't touch the Moabites because I've given them that land. And they go beyond the Moabites and they come in to possess the land God had given to them. But now, the Moabites come to press against the people of Israel. Jericho had been destroyed, you remember, in entering the land. Jericho is known as the city of palms. And so the Moabite king comes and sets up his, his throne, his palace, his ruling center for Israel in the site of Jericho, a simple city. And he sets up his idols around as a barrier for that fortress, not fortress, but that city that he's living in. And in the passing of time, as the people of God experience this 18 years of Moabite rule, this 18 years of not being able to be the people of God freely. This 18 years of giving tribute. Everybody paid their taxes? Oh, never mind. That's, that's a different thing. 
18 years of compromise and judgment and testing. And God raises up a left-handed man. Now, we left-handers, we're outnumbered, you know. The whole world is right-hand, right? You know, everything operates in a right-handed way. So we left-handers have to learn how to operate in a left-handed way in a right-handed world, in a left-handed way, in a right-handed world. Ehud was left-handed. He fashions a sword, a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword is not for cutting meat or something. It's for stabbing. He fashions a sword and puts it on his right calf or thigh. And he goes in to take the sacrifice, to take the tribute to the Moabite ruling authorities. He's the head of the embassy that carries this. It's probably produce. There are probably a lot of people involved. He dismisses the rest of them. They go ahead. He's walking behind. He gets to the barrier between the the ruler's, uh, not fortress, but town and and the, the tribe of Benjamin because he was a Benjaminite. And he stops and he turns around, he looks at the king, he says, I have a secret message for you. Secret messages and politicians will never cease. The king says, silence. Look, if it's a secret, I don't want everybody in the kingdom knowing what it is. He dismisses everybody else. And he says, it's a message from God. Thinking something good is about to happen, he rises from his seat of judgment, approaches Ehud, who approaches him with his sword drawn. Plunges the sword into his voluminous body, and he dies. Ehud leaves, locks the door, leaves goes out and calls the people of God to him. And I want you to look here again. Ehud is not alone. The people of God who have cried out to God, who want God's deliverance, they are waiting for someone to act, someone to move forward. Do they know exactly what Ehud's going to do? I don't know. But they are ready when he calls And they take their enemies on in the name of God. Two interesting stories. What can we learn from these stories? First, God hears and saves. You saw it in both cases. God was listening. God was waiting. God didn't just send the, nation, the foreign ruler in and say, have a feast with my people. Treat them any way you want to. He sent the, the ruler in so that the people might call out to him. And when they called, he answered. Later, in Scripture, 
David pens these words. David was one who experienced a lot of suffering as a king. I want you to look with me at Psalm 57. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you, and in the shadow of your wing I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God my most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. My soul is among lions. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows. And their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit for me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Arise, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the nations and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. The one who cries out to God can expect God to answer. David and these two judges experienced, not just them, but the nation experienced the answer of God when they cried out, when they gave him his rightful place, when they made him king again, when they said, God, you alone are worthy of worship. We're going to quit paying attention to the Baals and the Asherahs. We are your people. God hears and God saves. It's also apparent in these stories that God is who is concerned about establishing salvation history, establishing a way for the Messiah. God is in the business of bringing forth the great deliverer. God is in the business of creating a place for a virgin to give birth. God is in the business of bringing the King of Kings into the place where he can die on our, in our place and be resurrected to glory. Don't lose track of that. But also realize that he cares about this nation. He isn't just using them. He's not abusing them. He is doing good for them through these difficult circumstances. He's teaching them how to be a nation that walks with him. And it isn't just the nation he's concerned about. It's men and women. It's families. It's tribes. It's people who each one need to honor God in their hearts. It's not beyond our observation 
that when one man leads as a deliverer, the nation follows. And they have peace. Now, we don't have a full description of that. We don't know how their worship went. We don't know how their, their treatment of the false gods around them went. But they have peace for a longer period of time than they were under judgment. The people responded. Individuals responded. A remnant was growing. A group of people were saying, God is our God. And the Baals are not worthy of our attention. And the foreign powers around them need to know, need to know us, uh, that are around us need to know that God is God. Thirdly, as we look at this, we, we see that the people are free. They had a freedom to choose. But the choices have consequences. There's another story in the book, in 2 Chronicles, of another time that, that a testing came. Asa is the king of, of Judah, and he has made alliances. And I won't read the whole story, but it's in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 16. And verse 9, the prophet comes and says this, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely on his. Who have act, you have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on you will surely have wars. Asa made an alliance with the king of Aram. We're back to that point again. Making alliance with the people that Abraham came out from. Made alliance with them instead of trusting in God. And the prophet comes to him and he says, Asa, you didn't realize it, but God was looking God was looking for you or someone to stand up. Someone whose heart was fully fixed on God. And if the, that person would stand up, God would strongly support them. But because you've done this, you're going to have wars for the rest of your life. You see, there are consequences to choices. And we see it in these two stories. We see consequences of choices made. People are free to choose, but there's consequences. So, what about you and me? We don't live in a theocracy. We're in a, none of us have a sword on our right thigh. But what about us? What about this world that we live in? God is still inspiring people. He's still speaking to you and to me about all the false worship that's going on. About all the fearful powers that exist in our world. And he's asking us to join him. Join him in faith. Join him as he is transforming 
us into images of his son, Jesus. He wants to make himself known. That's the underwriting, underlaying story behind the judges. God, who was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the God of all nations. And he deserves the worship of all nations. And he's placed you and me here at this point in history among people who don't yet worship him. And he's asked us to stand with him as he transforms and redeems his creation. Othnell might have thought, come on, God. You've got somebody else to do this. Ehud might have said, who am I? You, you might say, I'm just one person. It's a vast city. Who am I? And the voice of David comes to us and he says, you are a child of the king. And he is in the business of delivering. Would you trust him? Pray with me. Father, we live in a world that would like to ignore you. We live in a world that would like to make anything about you peripheral and at least compromise with other values. But we live in this world that you created among men and women who are your image bearers yet do not know you. And we live in this world as your children. And so, as we've looked at these two stories from ancient times, I pray, Lord, that you've been speaking to each one of us about the foreign powers that have taken possession of people around us when you alone deserve their worship. Of possible compromises that we have made instead of fully putting our hearts in your hands. And so in this moment of face-to-face -face encounter with you, I pray that you would speak to each of us. Show us your love and draw us to make a stand for you in Jesus' name. Amen.